wants to dive into data. Today we're talking with Vince CPL of Cleveland Research Company. They cover the lodging, cruise, and airline industry. They recently released a consumer sentiment survey. So let's find out the results of that and maybe we can find a hot stock tip or two. Thanks for joining. Thank you for joining me. I have, I have a ton of notes, by the way, yeah. Yeah. that I've had to take because you're complicated individual well, almost as thorough as the hunter recap but not quite oh almost. but not quite yeah that's an in-depth thing too and we didn't get to send that out this year there's a lot of people out there very unfulfilled in their lives right now oh it's like the content of the year your <laughs> conference my recap something's missing oh it's fantastic i love it uh vince thank you for joining me uh, another edition of this phenomenal teague talks so thanks for being here a lot of data can't wait to dive into it uh, tell me before we jump in, though, on a personal level, what, how's quarantine been? What have you been doing? I know you, like others, have been traveling, but give yeah. me a, give me. So uh, quarantine was good, but I can only stay in my house for so long. Uh, I love the travel industry. I love to travel. I'm a big Bonvoy guy, actually. I'll give them a plug. And uh, a lot of room nights uh, and points that I had to use and found great redemption values. So I went out, uh, just my wife and I, and we spent... Uh, Few weeks on the road, did uh, South Beach as soon as they opened, uh, down at the Addition, and then went to the Virgin Islands, stayed at the, um, the Ritz in St. Thomas and the Weston in St. John. So a Marriott exclusive. And um, it, was, it was a good reminder of what's so special about our industry. Um, you know, and, and nothing against the airlines, but air travel's just rough, right? And you know, they, they talk a big game about distancing and all that. Every, I was on six flights, 100% of them were 100% full or 98% full. Uh, I get to the hotel, they're only running maybe 50% occupancy. The beach chairs are all spaced out nicely. The, um, the manager is you know, greeting you and so glad you're there and talking about all the safety measures they put in place. And it's just a good reminder that um, we work in a great industry where our biggest asset is people and making people feel welcome. And it's called hospitality for a reason. And I definitely felt that more so uh, in the hotels than, than the airlines for, for that matter. Uh, good for you for getting out there. Uh, I like it. I'm guessing no business travel though yet. No, no, not yet. Um, hopefully, hopefully that will be recovering sooner versus later. But for the time being, it's kind of travel at your own risk. And if you want to make that leisure trip, that's up to you. Um, but the, the corporate still feels a little bit further off. But, you know, if you, if you want me to come down to Atlanta, we'll have a business meeting. You can have, uh, have lunch or dinner outside, have, have a little distancing and talk to the industry. I'm fair game. I'm, I'm in. I'd like to do it on the golf course, please. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Where are you? You look like you're at home, not at the office. Yeah, so I've been working remote since um, actually the week of the Hunter Conference, or what would have been since uh, mid-March. And um, yeah, I, I, I've been enjoying the setup. Uh, it's, it's a five-minute walk, or not even. It's a five-second walk to the kitchen, to my bedroom. And you know, this is the first time I've actually probably uh, done my hair. I haven't had a haircut since, uh, since COVID. And uh, I'm just going with it. Just keep just keep throwing it back. <laughs> you can get away with it when you sling it back. That's but right. You're, I, I don't know. You're a, you're a fashionable guy, though. So I think this is the first time I think I've had a button on down since uh, <laughs> since COVID too. So just for you, Teague. 
<laughs> All right, next time it's a t-shirt. That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and board shorts. All right, great. All right, so tell me, uh, what, what's the surveys looking like? Uh, what's the data looking like? I know you guys dropped the survey this morning. Yeah. I have not looked at it yet, but tell me what the data is showing globally, yeah. globally, and then let's narrow down. So, so big picture, you know, what we're seeing out there is it's, it's very much a bifurcated market. It depends on geography, depends on hotel type, depends on the type of travel. Um, Hotels are actually doing better than airlines. Short-term rentals doing a little bit better than hotels. Uh, Asia was doing better than the U.S. The U.S. kind of caught up. Europe's still dragging behind. Um, so really, it's just it's different by market. And a lot of it comes down to where are we at with travel restrictions. So halfway through May, uh, most of the world still had travel restrictions in place. Uh, a lot of those became eased uh, towards the end of May. And, you know, in a place like Europe, uh, I think in the UK, hotels were closed even through July 4th. So in a place like Spain or Italy or France, you still have over half of hotels that are probably closed. Uh, whereas in the US, the most recent number was about 6%. Uh, in Asia, it's, it's probably in the single digits, low single digits as well. So um, really depends on the market. You know, when you look at it from an occupancy perspective, Asia's back to about 40, U.S. is back to about 40, and Europe's still hanging around near 15. So depends depends where you're looking. The, uh, we're talking to a lot of people, and, and that's consistent with what the, the operators and owners have been seeing. Uh, and it is a roller coaster. You know, the good news is sports are starting up this week. The NBA in their bubbles got, quote, knock on wood, no cases. Right. Uh, we're all watching that stuff intently. Uh, let's hope that plays out for – the industry, but all of our lives. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned the, the sports getting started back up. Uh, it reminds me uh, something we just picked up recently. We did a consumer travel survey and we asked people who have traveled both a hotel stay and a flight stay in the last 12 months, how they felt about returning to a variety of activities. And while getting back to sports and an arena was something that people weren't yet comfortable with. What was encouraging was that um, about half of folks were comfortable with returning to leisure travel, staying in a hotel. Um, so, it, you know, it, it did, it's certainly not everybody's comfortable with it and it is a gradual path back, but uh, I, I do believe people are feeling a little bit more comfortable about staying in a hotel or an alternative accommodation as opposed to getting back into uh, an arena. So uh, diving back to travel, are you seeing that difference in the, the things that we're feeling? Are you seeing it in the drive-to markets versus the fly-to markets, major metro versus suburban, uh, and maybe even brand segments, economy versus luxury? Right, right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll bring up some interesting data um, on that. So first, you know, the TSA throughput data is out, which is it's really interesting. Um, you know, we were, we bottomed, I think it was in, in mid-April, about down 95% year over year. And that has since improved to about down 70, 70 and some change through July. So while uh, air travel, the trajectory is better, we're still down 70% year over year. And when you add that up uh, and reconcile it with what's showing up in the hotel data, you know, in June, U.S. rooms sold were down about 45% year over year. Airport was down 
in the mid 50s, almost 60%. Urban was down 70% year over year, whereas interstate and small metro was only down um, closer to 30%. So meaningful outperformance in, in the smaller uh, smaller stuff, the drive-to stuff, and that's also reflected in the economy numbers. So the economy demand actually was only down 23% year over year in June. So four out of f- almost four out of five economy rooms that were out there last year in June were again uh, out there this year. You contrast that with luxury. Luxury demand was down 85%. So really just a, a divergence in result by, by market and hotel type. Any idea when that's coming back? Whether it's luxury or economy. Well, 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 Teague, when are you going to get back into the luxury hotels? You know, I'm, I'm trying to do my part staying at the Edition, staying at the Ritz, trying to give our industry some business. And, you know, uh, what, what it's really, all joking aside, what it's going to come down to is getting more of that corporate stuff back, getting people more comfortable with where current cases are and how that relates to deaths. Um, and then finally, you know, a, a lot of these resorts and luxury are, are somewhat dependent on banquet and group business. And that, that still feels, uh, you know, further off. Um, you know, also in our, our consumer travel survey, we saw attending a group convention basically stacked up right next to sporting event, right next to taking a cruise as perceived as the most risky activity. So we, we said on a scale of one to 10, how, how would you rank staying in a hotel for a night? or taking a domestic flight. And, and whereas staying in a hotel or was maybe called a four out of 10, and a domestic flight might've been a five or a five, five and a half. Um, a group convention, um, a sporting event, or taking a cruise all were seven and a half type eight out of 10 in terms of perceived riskiness. So until, until people get more comfortable with those social settings, uh, it, it's gonna be tougher for some of those urban, uh, luxury, upper upscale hotels to start putting up numbers again and seeing demand return. So I'm going to pick on you, Vince. What are you doing first, going on a cruise or going to a conference? Um, so I actually think that, uh, well, number one, to answer that question, you'd have to say, here's my perception of COVID and what my personal risk is. And I won't share that because that's been very politicized and I don't even want to get into it. Um, So what I will say is that having done both, I do believe the ability to social distance on a cruise is easier than in a large group convention type setting. Um, You know, I uh, I, I miss the Hunter Conference days of of cocktail hours and uh, have, I mean, what did you guys have? 2,000 people at that, 1,000 people at that, something like Just that. Just right? 2,000, yeah. There you go, 2,000. Um, so, so getting 2,000 people in a hotel uh, and, and running through the buffet, that's, that's going to have to change, at least if you were going to try to do it later this year or early next. Once you get more, vac- uh, more vaccine out there, more people believing that uh, the, the, um, the the death rate associated with this maybe isn't as bad as one's feared. And, you know, it starts to get viewed in a more favorable light. They might start to get more comfortable with that. But, you know, for me, it's like in a cruise, you have your own room. So it's basically like a hotel. You can distance a bit at the pool. They uh, have changed up the dining options so that it's no longer buffet style. And they do that regularly if there is, you know, even a, a flu outbreak on a ship. And then, you know, 
Finally, it's, uh, you, you can space people in a theater if you were doing shows. So, you know, I, I, might, be, I might be in a minority, but having been, uh, I probably go on two or three cruises a year uh, as part of my job to analyze the new ships. And, uh, and my experience on all that has been uh, great. And I do believe there's a way to, to do a cruise in a safe and social distance manner, sailing under 100% occupancy. All right, so keep going with though. Let's you know you guys track other industries too. That's part of them. So keep going though. What do you what do you see in restaurants and grocery yeah. stores? You mentioned and yep. and Home Depot and all those all the like. Right. So you know when we look at it and frame up the big picture, um, you know, not, not to get too macro here, but unemployment eleven percent. Uh, it's an improvement from probably what was around fifteen ish in. in about 20 in April. So unemployment headed in the right direction. Unfortunately, consumer confidence kind of went the wrong way in July uh, after making some improvement in June. That's also a reflection of COVID. In terms of it relates to how people are spending money, again, it's really this story of kind of what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, just looking at the U.S., you've got TSA flights that are still down 75%, hotels still down 55, 60, mall traffic still down 55 to 60. Uh, restaurants is probably down 25% uh, on a year over year basis. So these are kind of like the bad and the ugly. Um, the good, you know, you look at home improvement, you look at Costco comps, you look at Walmart and Target, you look at dollar stores, I mean, some of these were putting up 25, 30% type of year-over-year growth figures uh, in March and April. Now, that has cooled down a little bit, but, I mean, you, you look at home improvement demand, that's, that's still probably up 15% uh, July to date. You look at Costco, they're probably doing 10% type of comps. So, um, you know, a very different story for how people are spending their money uh, and, and what they feel comfortable doing. Yeah, we're also seeing, uh, you know, second home sales are up significantly and recreational vehicles and boats and the yep. like. You can't go anywhere, so. Go yep, I, I saw that even though the, the existing home sales figure, you know, got held up basically because people were on lockdown, uh, the purchase applications, I think, were up 50% year over year here recently. So there's a huge appetite to go out and, and buy homes, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't looked at the data for new home sales and uh, startups and, you know, more sort of resident, more residential and suburban, but I think those are all up. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you don't have to disclose your position. I know you're really interested in Cleveland real estate and you've been <laughs> around. I've been long Cleveland real estate for a while. I know it's becoming a popular trade. How's There's that still some out? good value, but what I would say is get in while you can. <laughs> God's country up here. We got the lake. We got, you know, three sports teams whenever that gets back. There's plenty of good restaurants to go to, not a lot of traffic, plenty of fresh water, you know. And actually, I probably shouldn't say too much here because there's a lot of smart real estate people that listen in on these calls. And, you know, I don't, I don't want too much competition out there for, for buying up the real estate up here. Right. But, uh, it's, it's, it's a place to be. They're not all rushing to Florida, they're rushing That's to right. Cleveland. There you go. All right. Uh, uh, let's keep talking about, uh, you know, I, I supply, construction costs, and where do yep. you see that going? Uh, right. Keep going. So um, supply, a couple things. One, 
supply was pretty dialed in around 2% uh, as it relates to traditional hotel. When you add in alternatives, it probably added another couple points. So supply was probably growing closer to, to four in, in all reality. Um, in terms of what's happened in a post-COVID world, um, we've seen some slowing as it relates to new construction over the last three to four months, but most of those projects have gotten back online. And what you actually saw in the last downturn was, yes, there's a little slowing in construction, but basically, basically everything that starts is getting finished. Um, where a pocket emerges is early planning. And if you look at the pipeline data, you see rooms in early planning are actually down year over year. So uh, when you're not filling that pipeline as much with the early planning, that could, in theory, create a bit of a lull, uh, call it 2022, 2023. Um, and uh, so, so while supply this year is probably pretty dialed in, um, it could start to decelerate in, in future out years. Uh, the, the other number I saw, I think that 25,000 rooms have opened in the United States year to date. Uh, we were doing about 120,000 a year. Uh, and the estimates call, are still calling for about 75, 80,000 to open in the second half. We'll see if that actually happens. That probably would put the all-in supply number a little sub two for traditional hotel. Um, but, but that's the, you know, the current best guess out there. So what do you think the foreclosure rate looks like? There's, there's the occupancy and rate question on what 21 and 22 looks like for the industry. But an even more complicated question is what does profits look like, right? Because I don't just care about revenue if I'm buying a hotel. Like I care about what, how much can this thing cash flow at the end of the day? And, um, you know, you look at where estimates are shaking out for the, even the publicly traded REITs. You know, I, I think it's, you know, for full service, 21 EBITDA is expected to be half of what it was in 19. And those estimates are probably still coming down. Now let's think about even 22. 22 EBITDA is still expected to be 33% off of the 19 levels. So when you're thinking about valuing an asset and how much of a haircut it has to take, you'd say like, there's a pretty big hole in profits. And, you know, even if, yes, I believe in this industry. Yes, I believe in the, the, the secular trend lines in travel. Yes, I believe occupancy and ADR will get back. Yes, I believe in what the brands are doing to drive direct traffic. All those things make you bullish on the eventual cash flow. But if it's three, four years from now, uh, me as the buyer, I'd say, well, I mean, there's a time value of money associated with that. And, and there's a lot of risk too. And, and those are the two things that, uh, that, that shape multiples and, and how much people are willing to pay. Do you see a bigger gap between the full service luxury and the limited service? Yeah. So if I, if I run through those numbers with you again, I said full serve, the, the consensus estimate on Wall Street right now is 50% off the 19 peak for full serve. Select serves probably only 35% off the 19 peak uh, in 21. And then as you look further in 22, full serve estimates right now say, hey, they might get within 30% of the 19 peak. Select serve is 13%. So uh, basically saying, hey, we think the trajectory and the recovery here for select serve assets um, is probably going to be a, a less risky and a more linear path. How do those numbers compare to the last recession? Um, I mean, they're, they're going to be significantly worse. 
But, you know, in terms of the hit that the stocks have taken, uh, stocks are almost looking through that hit and saying, well, I know that this asset at some point probably can generate this cash flow again. So when I think about applying a multiple to that depressed level of EBITDA, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a little bit of multiple expansion, even though the business is kind of going the wrong way, because I, I've seen how much profit these companies can make before. And I think that they'll make that again in, if it's not 22 and 23 or 24. So I can pay a little bit higher multiple on a more severely depressed uh, EBITDA figure. At least that's, that's the logic out there now. That's why the market, you know, the, the S&P 500 is basically flat year to date. Um, you know, the, uh, the REITs are down 50% year to date and it could be a lot worse. Um, they, they probably, you know, they probably bottomed it down 70, 80% year to date. Um, so, so people are really looking through right now and saying, Hey, I don't care so much even about, not about 20 at all. Maybe not even so much about 21. All that I care is that the trajectory of things is occupancy is improving and the trajectory of COVID is, Hey, there's more therapies. Hey, there's more vaccines. Hey, hopefully we can return to a more normal world. So let's stay on the stocks. Uh, what do you like better, the REITs or the brands? Well, um, so I, I, I prefer the brands um, for, for a number of reasons, but you know, sticking first with this, this thought press we've been going down. When you think about getting back to the prior peak, we talked about even by 2022, uh, full serve REITs still being 20, 25% off the 19 peak. SelectServe being 15% off the 19 peak. The consensus estimate right now for brands would be, hey, we get within eight high single digit percent of the 19 peak. So a much quicker recovery uh, in the earnings stream. And what's driving that is, you know, unit growth for these guys, asset light unit growth that will support a path for deleveraging, will support a path for getting back to paying a dividend, and then finally, maybe at some point in late 21 or 2022, getting back to uh, repurchasing shares. So just the asset light cash flow nature of the brands, I, I think is attractive. Um, when you look at the brands only being down 30% year to date versus the, the average REIT down what I said, 55, 60% year to date, that also I think is encouraging for investors to say, hey, I'll pay up a higher multiple to own these because the EBITDA stream is more durable. The conversion of EBITDA into free cash flow is better. And when there actually is the worst rev park contraction of all time, the stocks actually end up holding up much better. So for all those reasons, I think the brands are kind of in a better spot. All right. I'm going to make you be a stock picker. Any of the, what brand stock do you like better than the other brand stock? So uh, for me, it's, it's Hilton and Marriott at, at the top of the list for sure. Um, and, and, and there's a couple things to like. One, for Hilton, the uh, large exposure to franchise fees and a little bit more exposure to kind of that select serve stuff uh, in the U.S., I, I think will result in more EBITDA durability in 2019 or in 2020 and uh, an even better recovery in 21. I think that long-term, Marriott is the place to be with the largest loyalty program, the largest base of rooms, and, and doing a, right, a lot of the right things to kind of integrate uh, Starwood and Marriott, drive uh, even incremental loyalty. 
And I think they were just starting to make progress and really start to show some results and then COVID hit. But I don't think that disrupts the multi-year play for, for what Marriott represents. Compare the, but do talk about the airline stocks. Same yeah. question with the airline stock. Well, I think airline, yeah, airline's tougher because, uh, well, well, number one, we already went over the, the fundamentals where actually hotel room demand in the U.S. being only down 50% or so compares to flights being down mid-70s. So better position there. And then you think about the, the cash flow nature of the business and the leverage on the balance sheet and, and where profit margins even were for the airlines. It's just a really tough business. It was a tough business to run before COVID. And I think this makes it uh, even tougher. So I'm partial to hotels and, and that's, that's why I uh, picked to cover hotels. Uh, talk to me about the OTAs. Yeah. So there, there's the, um, it's a loaded question. There's a few parts to it. So the first part would be the fundamentals in the business. What's going on? Um, room night declines, pretty significant, uh, in line with what you'd see for traditional hotel demand. Um, they do have some alternative business, Expedia owns Verbo, um, uh, vacation rental, um, by owner, uh, HomeAway, which is now combined under the Verbo brand. Booking has about 25% of its room nights coming from alternatives. So while we've seen short-term rental demand hold up better than traditional hotel, and that positions uh, the OTAs uh, in a decent spot, geographic exposure does matter. And Expedia is far more US-oriented than Booking right now. And, and so, so Booking's kind of holding the cards they're holding of, hey, we're long Europe. And Europe is much slower to recover. So there's a disparity there. But big picture, what I'd say is these guys are going to gain share uh, in, in 2020 uh, as leisure becomes a larger percentage of the mix of what hotel room nights are sticking around. And hoteliers who were really pushing the brand.com, brand.com narrative start to loosen up a little bit, view the OTAs as more partners and more of a source uh, of rooms. You know, it's, it's really easy to hold the line and talk brand.com when it's 2019 and room nights are at all-time highs, demand's growing nicely. But when you really need demand, uh, you're going to look for it in whatever avenue you can, and that's resulting in share gains uh, for the OTAs this year. Uh, do you believe the common wisdom, at least in our, as a biased hotel industry, guys, that the hotel industry is going to be better than the short-term rentals, Airbnbs, et cetera? from a confidence cleanliness perspective? You so see uh, you, you, um, you have to uh, weigh a couple things. There's the proximity to other people, uh, which short-term rentals would score higher on in terms of perceived risk, whereas hotels would score higher on cleanliness. Uh, in our survey, it was um, hotel ranked slightly ahead of short-term rental. But you know, some of that might be selection bias. These people are submitting a hotel receipt versus an, uh, a short-term rental receipt. So it's hard for me to draw a big conclusion. What I would say is that um, right now, from a leisure perspective, both seem to be working. People feel pretty comfortable with both. And the hotel brands, I think, are doing a good job of, of making people feel safe and showing, hey, you know, Hilton, I think, partnered with Lysol. Here's what we're doing differently. Here's how we're trying to improve the cleanliness of your stay. And I think that's helping them capture some of this leisure demand. All right. I like it. Um, I'll let you off the hook. Final, final question. So you got your Cleveland sports fan, I'm assuming. 
The Cavaliers are not invited to Orlando. Uh, but you got the Indians starting up. We, we, ha- we had our day in the sun. You know, ha- had a championship. In, in Cleveland, we were starved for a championship for so long. Like, winning one was just amazing. I, I'm, I'm okay with the Cavs not being invited. You're good for another 30 years? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. All right. You ready for Indians baseball? Uh, if, if they're still the Indians, who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. And that's, a, that's another thing where I would love to uh, have people sit every other seat or, or find something that makes sense. Uh, and get out there and watch baseball again. Uh, I, I, I would, I'd be at the stadium tomorrow if I could. Uh, Vince, you're a great man and a good friend, and I super appreciate you being on today. Uh, we covered a lot Absolutely. of stuff in here. Uh, Absolutely. I'm going to keep track and see how much of it comes true of your predictions. Don't, don't hold me accountable for being accurate. Just I, I try to be entertaining at, at, at a minimum and, and say something that sounds smart. If I can check – those boxes partially that that's why I still have a job. All right, go travel somewhere. I'll, I'll get back out there. Get on a plane or a boat or uh, something. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. Be safe. See you in Atlanta. Please. Okay. Yeah. Bye.